based on the lyrics of the song, one is God, 12 are the tribes of Israel. 13, of course, is what you get when you add one to 12. 13 thus embodies the joining, the unity, the covenantal connection, the unbreakable bond between the one true God and the Jewish people, the 12 tribes of Israel. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 235, the final psalm. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. We make mention again today of my favorite children's book, The Phantom Tolbooth, where a boy named Milo journeys to a magical land engaged in a civil war between brothers. King Azaz, the unabridged ruler of Dictionopolis, and the mathemagician, ruler of Digitopolis. Azaz and the mathemagician could not agree whether words or numbers were more important and originally put the question to two sagacious princesses by the name of rhyme and reason. The princesses, in turn, returned their answer. Words and numbers are of equal value, for in the cloak of knowledge one is warp and other woof. It is no more important to count the sands than it is to name the stars. Therefore, let both kingdoms live in peace. The brothers, in turn, were so unhappy with this answer that the princesses' rhyme and reason were banished, and Milo goes on a quest to return rhyme and reason to the land so that words and numbers could be joined in peace and harmony once again. It is often assumed that numbers and words embody different realms. Numbers are abstract, conceptual, and universal. Words, on the other hand, only emerge through the stamp of human communication. To express the nature of numbers in spoken word is to attempt a bridge between these two realms, mathematical concepts that reside in the Platonic world of the ideal, and words that give expression to the real. For Jews, the joining of Digitopolis and Dictionopolis occurs at the end of the Passover Seder, when our affinity for specific numbers is given verbal expression in the cherished ditty, Echad Miodea, Who Knows One, and every integer from 1 to 13 is associated in song with a concept from Jewish tradition. Who knows one? I know one. One is God in the heavens and the earth. We move from one to the next number. Who knows two? Two tablets of the covenant. One is God in the heavens and the earth. And so on. Three patriarchs, four matriarchs, five books of the Torah, six orders of the Mishnah, seven days of the week, eight days for circumcision, nine months to birth, ten commandments, eleven stars in Joseph's dream, the twelve tribes of Israel, and then the final number. Who knows 13? I know 13. 13 are the attributes of the Almighty. This is a reference to the rabbinic parsing of a verse in Exodus chapter 34, where God signals his forgiveness following the failure of the golden calf by identifying himself as follows. The Lord, the Lord, a God who is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, of much loving loyalty and truth who bestows loving loyalty to the thousands, forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, and provides pardon. And though how precisely we parse these verses is a matter of debate, rabbinic tradition agrees that they signify what is known as the Yud Gimel Midot HaRachamim, God's 13 attributes of mercy. Thus does the number 13 bring for many the Seder evening to a close. Thus does 13 signify a special aspect of the Jewish relationship with God. And thus, as we will see, does the number 13 lie at the heart of Psalm number 150, the final psalm. The final psalm is seemingly simple. It is apparently a series of exhortations 
telling Israel and the world to praise God. It begins with a Hebrew word that is well known, one which means, praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah el bikacho. Hallelujah birkia uzo. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. The psalm continues. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the shofar. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. This is how the psalm ends. This is how the book of Psalms ends. Kol haneshama to hallelujah. Hallelujah. But as Rabbi David Kimchi, the medieval exegete known as Radak, points out, the final psalm contains a precise number of exhortations. Let us count them. One, praise ye the Lord. Two, praise God in his sanctuary. Three, praise him in the firmament of his power. Four, praise him for his mighty acts. Five, praise him according to his excellent greatness. Six, praise him with the sound of the shofar. Seven, praise him with the psaltery and harp. Eight, praise him with the timbrel and dance. Nine, praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Ten, praise him upon the loud cymbals. Eleven, praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Twelve, let every soul praise the Lord. Thirteen, praise ye the Lord. Thirteen exhortations of praise which for Radak parallel the 13 attributes of mercy of the Almighty. 13 as a number represents God's mercy to and love for us. And so we in turn respond with 13 exhortations of praise. Thus, in interpreting the significance of this psalm and of the number 13, we may introduce a fancy word, one which this psalm seems to reject. Triskaidekaphobia, fear of the number 13. This has long been a trend in the West though Wikipedia informs us that there was one club that led a battle against this phobia. Quote, In 1881, an influential group of New Yorkers led by U.S. Civil War veteran Captain William Fowler came together to put an end to this and other superstitions. They formed a dinner cabaret club, which they called the 13 Club. At the first meeting on January 13, 1881, at 8.13 p.m., 13 people sat down to dine in room 13 of the venue. End quote. And we are further informed by Wikipedia that, quote, Many 13 clubs sprang up all over North America over the next 45 years. Their activities were regularly reported in leading newspapers, and their numbers included five future U.S. presidents, from Chester A. Arthur to Theodore Roosevelt. 13 clubs had various imitators, but they all gradually faded due to a lack of interest, end quote. Wikipedia further tells us about one Jew that was terribly afraid of the number 13, the Yiddish writer Shalom Aleichem, and it links us to an article in the New York Times which tells us that Shalom Aleichem, quote, is buried at Mount Carmel Cemetery in Queens, beneath a headstone bearing an epitaph that he wrote himself. Here lies a plain and simple Jew who wrote in plain and simple prose. It begins in Hebrew. The headstone gives the date of his death as May 12A, 1916. He died on May 13th, but he suffered from triskaidekaphobia, which is a showboating way to say that he had a fear of the number 13. He used 12A in numbering the pages of his manuscripts, end quote. This great modern Jewish writer notwithstanding, the fact is that Jews emphasize the importance of the number 13 all the time. And indeed, one might say that the original 13 club was the Passover Seder. Scholars such as Shimon Sharbit have pointed out that whereas non-Jewish Western cultures also had similar songs about numbers, those, by and large, went up to 12, whereas Jews, perhaps in response, concluded with 13. For it was through 13 
that Jews emphasized not only their rejection of triskaidekaphobia, but in fact also expressed their triskaidekaphilia. Why is 13 so special to us? Here, perhaps, the song that we sing on Passover evening gives us the answer. Based on the lyrics of the song, one is God, 12 are the tribes of Israel. 13, of course, is what you get when you add 1 to 12. 13 thus embodies the joining, the unity, the covenantal connection, the unbreakable bond between the one true God and the Jewish people, the 12 tribes of Israel. And this bond is expressed by the association in the song of 13 with the Almighty's attributes. In the original Aramaic, who knows 13? I know 13. Shlosh Esrei Midaya, the 13 attributes of God. What are these 13 attributes? They are God's expressions of forgiveness to Moses, where the Almighty agreed to pardon his people. It is these 13 attributes that are uttered again and again throughout the Selichot, the prayers of the penitential season. Introducing them, we say also again and again to God that Horeita Lanu Lomar Shlosh Esrei, you, Almighty, have taught us to recite your 13 attributes of mercy. And therefore, remember today the covenant forged through the expression of these 13 attributes of mercy. Again and again, we associate this number with the fact that the Almighty has promised to never abandon his people and with the certainty that God will forgive us when we come to him in repentance. And when we think about it, throughout Jewish liturgy and life, we see the number 13 associated with the joining of God to Israel. God announced to Moses his 13 attributes of mercy, and every day, almost as if in reciprocal response, many traditional Jews at the beginning of their daily prayer enunciate what are known as the Yudgimu Midocha Torah Nidreshet Bahem, the 13 exegetical deductions through which we interpret the Torah, through which we show our love for and loyalty to the covenant. It is at 13 that a boy becomes obligated to keep, observe, and learn the Torah. And it was Maimonides who created a list of the Yud Gimel Ikare Emuna, the 13 fundamental doctrines of Jewish faith. We are now able to understand what it might mean for Radak and other medieval commentators for us to say that in the final psalm we praise God through the number 13. When Milo journeys through Digitopolis, he encounters a character named the Dodecahedron, a geometrical figure with 12 faces who uses one face for smiling, another for expressing sadness, another one for highlighting his thoughtfulness, etc. The dodecahedron asks Milo, what are you called? He says, Milo. So the dodecahedron says, that's an odd name. And then the geometrical figure continues and adds, you have only one face. And he queries, is everyone with one face called a Milo? The book continues, oh no, Milo replied. Some are called Henry or George or Robert or John or lots of things. How terribly confusing, he cried. Everything here is called exactly what it is. The triangles are called triangles, the circles are called circles, and even the same numbers have the same name. Why, can you imagine what would happen if we named all the twos Henry or George or Robert or John or lots of other things? You'd have to say Robert plus John equals four. And if the four's name were Albert, things would be hopeless. I never thought of it that way, Milo admitted. Then I suggest you begin at once, admonish the dodecahedron from his admonishing face, for here in Digitopolis, everything is quite precise, end quote. For Jews... Numbers themselves take on a personality, all their own. Each number from 1 to 13 embodies its own Jewish value and virtue. And the very act of counting can become for us a spiritual endeavor. For Jews, 13 presents the face of Judaism itself. Throughout the centuries, so many pronounced us unlucky, cursed, rejected by God. The Jew, in response, proclaims, I know one and I know 13. 
joining the descriptions of numbers with their pronouncing their continuing and utter faith in the unbreakable bond between God and his covenant people. It is with this in mind that we can truly appreciate how this final psalm, the giving of praise to God in 13 exhortations, summarizes in a certain sense what all the psalms have meant to the Jewish people throughout the centuries. So many Jews living in a state of persecution continue to utilize the words of King David to express how grateful they were for life and how grateful they were to be part of God's covenant people. Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik once described the special nature of the seemingly simple Jews that lived in his hometown, making mention of one Jew, a carpenter, a neighbor of his Melamed, his teacher, who always managed to recite the last verse of all the Psalms whenever he finished constructing an object. Rabbi Soloveitchik said, quote, I begin to see images of some of the people whom I knew in my youth. One image I see is that of a carpenter. He was a short fellow and eked out a living from carpentry. In order to make ends meet, he also rented out a room in his house to my Malamed. The carpenter was a simple Jew, not too much of a scholar. Yet, as he worked at his carpentry, he would recite the Psalms. He had worked out a system so that whenever he completed some object, say a table, he would reach the final sentence of, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. He seemed like a plain Jew. Yet my father, Rav Moshe, considered him one of the 36 saints who inhabit the world. End quote. Jews throughout the centuries embraced the gift of membership in the Jewish people and utilized the Psalms to thank God for the gift that was Judaism itself. And as we bid goodbye to the book of Psalms, we think of how the Psalms inspired them. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off. <laughs>